Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Victoria Petru is the VP of Operations at Wider Funnel, a leading experimentation company that helps enterprise brands make confident business decisions by co-creating insight-driven experimentation programs. Victoria leads the business operation teams of finance, HR, IT, legal, and administration, and designs seamless experience for the company to happily and profitably grow and operate. In the six years since Victoria joined the company, Wider Funnel has become one of the top 50 fastest growing companies in BC, achieving 355% revenue growth and 125% team growth. Outside of work, Victoria is always crafting new experiences to enjoy, usually in the form of trying out new hobbies. She's the co-founder of Port Moody & Co., a lifestyle brand that promotes the incredible people, places, and businesses of Port Moody. She's also the president of the board of directors for a build a bids kids nonprofit that offers after school and summer camp programs for children and youth to develop their entrepreneurial skills. So Victoria, welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That build a biz program, is Tressa Reese involved in that? Um, I'm not sure. No, it might be a different one. There was a, a woman that I used to work with at 1-800-GOT-JUNK that got involved in some like entrepreneurial kids kind of youth program and um, it seemed similar, but maybe not. Um, it, it, the president of, of build a biz kids is, is Leah Koss and she was oh. actually at one hundred. Yeah. Okay. Well, I know Leah as well. Yeah. So they must've both done something somewhere in this space. Yeah. Leah was, was in the, uh, the franchise sales group when I was there as well. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Okay, cool. Um, so tell me a little bit about wider funnel. What do you guys do? And I know that you said we're not going to get into the deep technical aspects of the business, but just give us in layman's terms, if you were describing to, you know, friends, or if you were at a marketing conference or something, how might you explain what the company does? Yeah, so we help uh, companies make more confident business decisions by implementing, developing, or scaling their experimentation programs. So experimentation is a systematic way of testing ideas. So when you think back to elementary school, when you know, you're learning the scientific method of creating a hypothesis and then testing it, we basically do that on websites. Uh, except we help companies ask the right questions and then are able to uncover like powerful insights that can then help them drive growth in their organization. So a lot of companies are asking some really, really hard questions like, you know, what's important to um, my customer? Um, You know, what are the features or the products or the services uh, that they really, really care about? Um, What's the right price to price them at? Um, what business model might be profitable for them. So we learn sort of what questions they're trying to um, answer. And then we use behavioral science to understand the why of their customer uh, decisions. Uh, And then when we learn how the customer sort of behaves and thinks um, and makes decisions, we gather those insights and and test them and validate them uh, through their site. Interesting. So, so this is not the typical split testing that a company like Unbalance or Lead Pages is doing. This sounds something a little bit different than that. So, or is it originated it? from that. I think the industry's uh, evolved. So, um, we've been around uh, since two thousand and seven, so thirteen years. And um, I mean, in the beginning, it was all about split testing. It was very, very simple. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you make a change like this. Um, you know, what's the effect? Um, you know, then the 
the industry sort of evolved into like understanding conversion rate optimization. So how do you actually convert all the people that are, are coming to your site? And now experimentation is really like thinking about what are all the different insights that you can be gathering to actually answer some really big business problems, not just like learning whether to make a button, you know, yellow or green. Mm. Like this is like a powerful um, way for leaders to be able to answer um, really hard questions. Interesting. I was at a, uh, a conference back in February called The Gathering, and there was a, a woman there presenting from the East Coast in Canada who has a company, and the name is escaping me now, but they do photo kind of analysis of two photos and, or multiple photos to show you which photos are going to get the, um, the best response. And they can use all this AI to judge. And all the humans in the audience were guessing completely wrong. Every time they put up these two yep. photos or three photos to pick from, everyone was picking the wrong ones. And they showed us why the computer was going in the other direction. It was really quite fascinating that they were using this to even get ahead of the split testing. So rather than waiting for your customers to decide, they were using AI to decide before your customers needed to decide, which I thought was pretty powerful. Oh, yeah. If, if so that makes sense. process that in my mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like yeah. normally you'd put up two photos and you'd check to see which of your customers really liked. What this was doing was the computer already knows what your customer is going to be choosing. So it can do that for you. And then you can do the next level of, of kind of like, holy shit, that was cool stuff. So where do you, where do you get your clients from currently? Um, in terms of like um, how they come to us? Yeah. Yeah. So most, I mean, we're really well known in the industry. Like if you look into experimentation, um, there's only a few companies within North America that are doing what we do. Mm. Um, and our founder is really well known. I mean, we have a ton of thought leaders within our company. So uh, Chris Goward, our, our CEO, wrote a book um, years ago called You Should Test That. I mean, he's on the conference circuit. Um, so most of our clients come in having already have heard of us. Makes it pretty easy to close them. Why did you get involved in the company? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I was fresh out of university looking for a way to get my foot in the door. Um, and they were hiring. I mean, it was kind of as simple as that. It wasn't this like incredible story. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they it's said become yes. a cool story. <laughs> they said yes. And I'm like, what the hell? Let's see what happens. So pretty what was much. The, and the company's grown a fair bit through, through kind of the timeline that you've been there. What was the company like when you joined and what's it like today? Yeah. So when I joined, um, it had been around, uh, for I guess six years. Um, and it was only five team members. Uh, it had just sort of figured out it's, um, business model, I would say. Hmm. Um, and we were very much like a team of functional roles. Like, you know, you had one person in charge of sales, one CEO who was like spread way too thin, somebody delivering um, and so forth. So, um, I mean, my growth to, to, you know, running the operations now has been quite interesting because I did start in, a, in an administrative role. Um, so I've been able to really touch and see every single piece of the organization. Yeah. Well, what, what do you think was that, um, that brought you up through that trajectory then from starting an administrative role and into the COO role now, what was it that had that happen for you? If I was to narrow it down to one thing, I think it would be my curiosity and, and asking sort of the good questions to be able to solve a lot of problems or challenges or, or find, um, you know, what opportunities we might have. Um, also I think I'm like a very systematic person. So like I'm immediately trying to 
solve things and figure out how to create a system for it to run smoothly. Nice. How many, how many people are on the team now? Uh, we have 32 right now, full-time, and then a, a bunch of contractors. And where the, and are you all based in British Columbia or you, do you have remote people as well? We have a few uh, remote people uh, in the U.S. Now, do you think that's going to change now that we've been kind of pushed to everybody working from home and being able to work remote? Has that changed the mindset or the thought process behind where you're going to hire people going forward, do you think? Um, I don't think it'll change much. I mean, we were already thinking of ways that we could expand to the U.S. to be closer to a few of our clients because majority of our clients are based in, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if anything, it strengthened the um, need for us to be together. Like we are very much a team that really enjoys each other's company. And so not being able to be in the same office is, is tough for us. And we had a few years ago, we were renovate, we were moving into a new space and we had to all work from home for a week. Mm. It's like no one lasted. Everyone was meeting up for lunch and like <laughs> trying to hang out as much as they could. So we had that happen years ago when we were building out 1-800-GOT-JUNK. We'd moved from the really the hyped um, head office at Granville Island where we had, you know, I think it was 20,000 square feet and two floors and about 150 people. And we moved downtown to the Guinness tower and we were taking three floors of the Guinness tower over the, um, the space wasn't ready for about 60% of the company. So there was a whole bunch of us had to work out of this law firm that we leased for three months and we all shared offices. We had people in single offices or two people per office. And for the first few days it was like, this is awesome. We're getting all the work done. We love this. And then after about four days, it was like, is Jeff even in the office or where's Kelly? I haven't seen her all week. And does Dave even work here anymore? It was really weird. And then after about two weeks, we're like, there's no way we would ever work in anything but an open office again. Like we just really hated the whole idea of private offices. It was really interesting to watch that dynamic happen. So are you seeing that similar shift now where people are being forced to work from home and they're just scrammed? They want to get back to the office. Oh, totally. I mean, there's all like, there's the comfort of the office of being set up to your needs, like in terms of like working effectively, Mm -hmm. Um, there's definitely like the social aspect of it. So, you know, we, we now come to work to sort of fulfill our personal identities. And so it does feel like we're a little bit stripped away from that when we don't have like our, our social clan surrounding us. Mm. Um, So there's definitely that piece to it. Um, But it is, I think the one the one area that is helpful is that it does make you become more outcome orientated because you're not seen anymore, like by the water cooler or, you know, walking into meetings. It's literally like, what have you delivered? Like what kind of value have you provided? Mm, um, interesting. And that really changes. <laughs> yeah. Know, that results only work environment work. becomes very obvious if you're not delivering then. Mm-hmm. What do you think people are doing now to show that they're actually delivering value or to show that they're getting work done? Um, I mean, I think we're using our meetings more effectively. Uh, so suddenly, you know, your your daily huddles and, and your weekly team meetings become necessary. You realize like these are the, 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 the reason they're there is to be able to, to move things forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being remote, that's your opportunity to do that. It's not like, oh, I've just caught you, you know, walking to your desk therefore i'm going to give you a quick update it's like no i've got this specific slot to to give you that update i had a friend of mine down in uh, mexico sent me a note yesterday and she said i just read your book meeting suck and i had all my employees read it as well and i didn't realize until we went remote how poorly we were running our meetings over the years because now they feel that that like you said there's they realize the need for actually running meetings and then the next step is running highly effective meetings so you don't waste all day on them totally 
are people getting zoomed out right now? Do you think people are yes. sick? <laughs> oh, we're so done with screen time. Like, I feel like <laughs> it's, it's interesting. I find myself, um, you know, reading more books just mm. to be able to uh, rest my eyes. Um, yeah. I mean, that's the key thing. It's just like the amount of screen time that you are now needing to do. Like before, you know, I'd be working and then I would be in meetings and meetings are all face to face. Right. It gives your eyes a break. Exactly. Versus now it's just like all of my, I can be like focusing on my screen for seven hours straight. That's interesting. I've noticed that I've been more tired recently. My eyes have been more tired recently and that is exactly what it is. I hadn't realized that that's probably what it had been. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk to me a little bit about what you're focusing on now as a leader and what's changed through this whole COVID-19. And then I also want you to just walk me through what your day-to-day is like as a leader now running the organization. So I wouldn't say the scope of my role has changed much due to COVID-19. Um, it's been a pretty seamless transition. Uh, we are pretty, we we're set up to, to be remote already. So it's just like, you know, business as usual from that perspective. Yeah. Um, I guess there are, you know, more questions about sort of like the, um, you know, how our organization is going to weather this due to just like, you know, the economic impacts this is having. Uh, So it is getting us to uh, look at our forecasting a little differently than we have had in the past. So um, more detailed in terms of the effects that this can have on our customers, um, the types of value that we can provide our customers throughout this time. Um, Because definitely we are very, um, I mean, we're lucky to be in a business where we are able to show our value quite directly. Um, And, uh, you know, given the fact that a lot of people are being forced online, we like, we're just, we're an obvious choice in that case. Um, But what has happened recently, actually, in January, I started to oversee marketing. So mm. that's sort of where a lot of my time has been spent is trying to understand how our marketing um, has been set up and find sort of the efficiencies to, to automate it a little bit. And how do you do that? I'm curious how um, a leader goes into or takes over a new area that there may be not. You Have you ever worked in marketing before? Probably not, no. right? So, so it's all new to you. So how do you go in and understand an area and start to look for efficiencies or look for leverage points? How do you, how do you go in and figure that stuff out? So I'm not sure what the right way is to do it. The way I've approached it is, um, you know, it's first understanding how things are being done right now. It's like, forget about, you know, what we want to do, what we've done in the past. It's like, what does it look like right now? And so a lot of my time has been spent um, actually tracking, um, you know, our interactions with prospects and then how the whole following the lead yep. um, and understanding I almost see it as like baton passes. So, you know, if you're running a a race and you're passing a baton, I clearly want to outline every single time that baton gets passed um, and see if it's a person or if it's a system uh, that's creating that pass and then what the output is of each, each piece. So that's been where a lot of my time has been spent is trying to understand that picture. Uh, and then through there, you can then apply your strategy. So what is, you know, your growth strategy? What are you trying to achieve? And is this, you know, is what we're currently doing helping you achieve that? And then you start drafting out the efficiencies and how you can, um, you know, improve certain things and prioritize how you go about it. How big is your marketing team? What's it look like? 
So currently it's um, only myself and one of the, one other individual. And then we have a, a bunch of freelance writers cool. um, and our CEO uh, given, you know, his thought leadership that he provides is heavily involved as well. Hey, you mentioned that he'd written a book a few years ago. Has that worked mm-hmm. out well for the company? Yeah, extremely well. I mean, what, a lot of people use this as their sort of back pocket guide to experimentation. Yeah. How do you, how do you as a company leverage that book? How do you get it out there? How does it, how do you work with the clients? How do you use it as that marketing tool? Yeah. So, um, you know, when there was a conference circuit, <laughs> he was on it uh, and definitely was able to promote the book that way and sort of the work that we've done with, with our clients. And we often are, are sending the book out to, you know, our clients or people are just even like, we'll, we'll find that like companies are buying like, you know, 20, 30 of them for their entire team because they're mm. trying to get them to be creating a culture of experimentation. Smart. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting tool. I, I wrote my first book 10 years ago and I've written five, five now in total. And it's pretty amazing how that becomes a bit of a perpetual motion machine. Just the more books that are out there, the more people are talking about the books, they're more sharing the books. And it's like every month they just keep selling more and more and the brand keeps getting built. It's almost irresponsible, I think, of a CEO not to have a book these days. Yeah. I mean, it is, but it is also like a really big endeavor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm I'm sure you know. So it's like trying to uh, figure out like how often do you need to put out this massive publication? And then how can you actually put out other things of value into the world, like similar to what you're doing with the podcast? Like, Mm -hmm. are there other avenues to provide this thought leadership? And that's sort of where we're trying to focus right now. Do you guys get, do you get much PR or much press coverage about your company or about what your company's doing and how you're helping customers? In my perspective, not enough. And so that's something that, um, yeah, I'd like to focus on because the work that we do and the type of value that we bring organizations is, is just insane. Like, you know, a small tweak for an enterprise company can mean millions of dollars. Yeah. And it's just so simple. Would those big clients talk about, would they be open to you sharing their kind of work as a case study or are most of them, they would, eh? Yeah. So we do a number of case studies. Um, but that's one of the things that I'm currently looking into is like, you know, we could be doing all this great work. We can be writing case studies, but if it's not touching, you know, people who haven't heard about us, then it's not very effective. Yeah. Take a look at um, one of my books. Most recent one is called free PR and it's how we landed all the free publicity at 1-800-GOT-JUNK. I built the in-house PR team. There as one of my divisions as COO and uh, we landed 5,200 stories about our company in six years. And I just nice. give you, I give you all of the step-by-step instructions on how to do that. But the other thing I was thinking about for you guys is there's a, a company actually based here in Vancouver. They're one of the largest, I think they may be the largest PR company now in Vancouver run by Katie Dunsworth. And she used to run my PR team at 1-800-GOT-JUNK, but they do a lot in the technical space as well. So they work with a lot of tech companies and they might be a really interesting plug-in for you to outsource your PR to them. Because um, I think it could be huge for you guys to get the story told and understood about you know, what your clients are benefiting from it. Yeah. Awesome. I'll probably follow up with you afterwards to get the details. Could be interesting. So talk to me about how you and the CEO stay on the same page. How do you stay on the same page with his vision and the business development and kind of rainmaking that he's doing? And how do you get him to stay on the same page with you and the plans and operational side of the business? That's a really good question. I think that's the secret to any good relationship is being on the same page. I, I think what really helped us is a few years ago, Uh, we implemented same page meetings. Uh, So, you know, the concept from the visionary integrator. Mm -hmm. um, EOS traction. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And we found that that has been so impactful. 
Um, you know, we have weekly check-ins um, as a leadership team. I have weekly check-ins with him, but it's just not enough to get into um, some of the juicier challenges yeah. uh, that we face. And so every month we basically go um, off-site, I mean now remote, uh, for about four, four to five hours and uh, really you know, align on like what's going on personally, professionally, uh, what are sort of the top things that are, um, you know, roadblocking you or like keeping you up at night. Uh, and then we prioritize and really dig into it. And it's interesting because when we started doing it, we, we realized every single um, meeting had led to a pretty massive action within the organization. For sure. uh, so immediately it showed value. So, sure. yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Like people are always like, I don't have time for meetings. I'm like, you don't have time not to have meetings. The reality is, and, and Elon Musk frustrated me last year. He put out a tweet and he said, you know, if you're in a shitty meeting, stand up and leave the meeting. And so I sent him a text message. So his brother used to work for me 25 years ago. So I've known Elon forever. And I sent him a text. I'm like, dude, don't tell people to leave shitty meetings. Fix the meetings. Yeah. If you fix the meetings, they won't have to leave them. But if you run a highly effective meeting, that is where the decisions happen. That is where the momentum starts. That is where the big shifts in the business. Do you run the same page meetings with your direct reports at all? Uh, not in the same, not to the same level. So we have uh, weekly one-on-ones, mm -hmm. um, which are similar, but they're just not as lengthy and I don't think they need to be. Mm -hmm. um, so on a weekly basis, I, I touch base with, um, you know, all of my reports and we look at sort of what are the, sort of the key things that I, I need to be aware of. So just quick like highlights and then like, what do we need to dig into together? Mm -hmm. um, and then once a month, we actually do um, a more of like a personal check-in. Uh, so we like step back from our day-to-day -day work and like think about things, you know, how are things going, you know, outside of work? How are some of your top priorities going? Um, you know, are there any roadblocks that you're facing? Is there any way that I can support you? Uh, and then we go into sort of like how you've, you know, lived our company values, um, you know, this, this month. And usually that's like a place of, of really talking about sort of the more like, I'd say, not emotion. I don't want to say emotional, but you know, the more behavioral things that are going on and yeah. it's a place to provide each other feedback. I think emotional is fine. The reality is that one of the roles of leader is, is to remove obstacles, to grow the skills and to provide the emotional support of, the, of their, mm -hmm. our team. So the emotional isn't a negative thing. I think it's true. Yeah. I just don't want to paint the picture that we're like in a room crying together. It's no. just like, it's normally, I'm normally the one crying. I've actually cried in board meetings before. I had a board member look, he goes, you're actually crying. I'm like, I know it's emotional. I'm sorry. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> um, no, I think there's something that's really powerful there that when you do provide that emotional support for teams, the reality is that we're also all struggling with this human condition in life, right? That mm -hmm. everybody's struggling with something. Sometimes it's people at work. Sometimes it's people at home. Sometimes it's health, whatever. And when they feel like they have that trusted environment with us as their leader, it actually really allows them to then excel in their job. Totally. They feel we've got their back, right? And I also had, I had this aha moment, uh, I think it was about a month ago when I was preparing for our annual retreat. And I was thinking about, you know, what is it, what's changed in our work environment? And I did a lot of research about it and, and stumbled across uh, Esther Perel, who's, you know, a really known uh, psychotherapist. Mm -hmm. And she's like, you know, talks about relationships all the time, but she's also starting to delve into relate your relationship with work. And what's fascinating is, you know, people used to go to work just to get bread on the table. And now they go to get, you know, personal, like 
you know, to find their personal identity, to gain fulfillment. And so the role of an employee and the role of a company has changed. So you have to start thinking about like, how are we meeting the needs of this new type of worker? Well, you, you actually said something earlier on that I wrote down, which was the social clan. Like we have that kind of that tribe that's our tribe that becomes part of our social identity that it's really meaningful. And you're right. That, that is a very huge shift over the last 30 years in work where people used to just go to work. I've always believed that to build an amazing company, it has to be a little bit more than a business and a little bit less than a religion. It has to be in that zone of a cult. And when you can find people that want to be a part of your tribe, but are also really high in affiliation, like that they'll wear the logo on your back or they'll, you know, get the company logo tattooed on them. That's when you know you're taking your company to the next level. Have yeah, you we seen have, we don't have any tattoos yet. But. No, my, um, my, at 1-800-GOT-JUNK, we had two of our employees, or one of our employees and one of our franchisees had tattoos, Jesse Corzan and Nick Wood. And then my sister's company, the, the Toronto Sport and Social Club, she said three of her members have tattooed their company logo on their bodies, permanent logos. And that needs to be my new BHAG. There you go, right? <laughs> um, so what have you seen shift in the company as you've kind of hit this 30 mark? I've always felt like companies transition at the ones and threes like one person three people 10 people 30 people 100 people have you seen anything starting to change at the around the 30 mark now oh yeah i mean yeah you're right it sort of like unravels in 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 different ways that you haven't mm-hmm. seen before unless you're a part of it um so definitely i mean currently at the 30 mark i would say that my my key focus um, because I've seen there being change is trying to find these like single sources of truth. And what I mean by that is like building out places that people can refer to information that they need in order to do their job successfully. So, you know, maybe at five people, um, knowing how many clients we have, it was just like one person had a you know document where they were tracking it. Suddenly at 30 people, it's like five or six people need to know that. I mean, that's like a really simple example. Yep, but yep. you know, you think of all those things that people are asking themselves um, and they need the answer immediately. It's like, where are you providing it so they can find it immediately and just go do like, and do their job well? Yeah. If you're, you're hindering that from people, like it's just so ineffective and they can't and, do the and best that's job. That's a fine balance between putting a system in place that's helping people and putting a system in place that's, you know, slowing people down, right? Exactly. You mentioned, so let's go back to Esther Perel a bit. Um, you talked about that she's talking a little bit about work and that we're, we're looking for more out of our work. Can you give us something that you've specifically done then for Wider Funnel that is kind of tapping into that and either giving more meaning to your team or showing them that you're the, you're kind of the ladder to their needs? Yeah. I mean, I think people are, are joining, I mean, specifically join Wider Funnel to be able to make um, an impact of where they work. Um, and are able to deliver value, like feel like they're delivering value mm. in their day to day. And to do that, you do have to create a system where um, people are being heard and um, their, I would say, their input, they can input into the organizational's direction. So something that's helped us um, a lot is actually implementing traction. And we did that when we were about 18 people. We started seeing that the communication started getting a little confusing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so just implementing a a meeting rhythm and a planning rhythm has been huge. 
you know, you have um, a full out cadence to how you operate as an organization to get somewhere. And so when employees are able to see how they're able to input into sort of where the company is going and actually see us achieve those objectives and those milestones, it's huge. Yeah. Is that, is that something that you use to sell an employee on joining you versus joining a Shopify or an Amazon or a Microsoft or another technology company in town that's bigger? I mean, that would be one of, one of a few things. So what, um, yeah, what else do you use? Yeah, I think the type of clients that we work with, um, you know, being based in, in Vancouver, there's only so many choices, like so many companies that um, you can join and directly work with like, you know, the Motley Fool or Dollar Shave Club and the HP and be like the direct mm. key account contact for a client like that. Which but is huge. Yeah. Yeah. We're working with huge enterprise organizations and um, the way that we build our teams out are, is with like high trust. It's like we hire you for, for your strengths and, and for you to deliver those. And so if you're able to jump in and, and run, it's like we'll let you run. Um, and there's not a lot of organizations that let people do that. Who, who are your decision makers on the client side? Is it, is it marketing? Is it like the heads of marketing or is it operational or where do you sell into? It's a little bit of both. So um, uh, originally it was mostly marketing. Um, now we're seeing, yeah, product, um, you know, heads of e-com. Uh, you know, VPs of operations, it's, it's starting yeah. to like sprinkle out through the organization. And where I see it going actually is it's, it's going to be at the C-suite for sure soon. Because it's, it's, just... it's not just split testing as the other companies stayed in their niche. You guys are, are clearly different. Yeah. Who, who would you compete against? Uh, well, that's an interesting question. So um, originally there's quite a few uh, experimentation, well, not quite a few, but a handful um, of experimentation companies in, um, in North America. But recently one of our competitors had been bought out by Accenture. So our uh, market is quite, is, is changed overnight in that moment. So, sure. yeah. Well, it's got to be great for you when somebody gets acquired by Accenture, that's just got to open up all this, like the rising tides lift all boats, right? Totally. It provides a lot of um, a third party credibility or social proof. So talk about your annual retreat. You mentioned doing an annual retreat. What do those look like for you guys? Uh, so they're usually two days off site. Um, they've ranged from, you know, going to Las Vegas and going to Mexico to um, just staying here in Vancouver um, and going to Whistler. But usually they're, they're two days highly um, engaging. So it's not like a social retreat. It's like we're working on the business. Mm-hmm. That's another actually example of where, you know, we take and we invest that time to think about like, how can we bring in all of you know, the superpowers of our entire team to really focus on, on making our business better. And so they immediately see the impact. And this past, um, this past one that we just did, we sort of had it uh, divided into two days. So the first day was really focusing on you as an individual and sort of the impact that you make um, on the organization and then the team and then the organization itself. So like thinking about sort of the different layers that are right. required um, in order to to be successful. And are these retreats the whole company? Yes. Take. Have you ever seen um, Brew Creek Lodge up near Whistler? Yeah, we went there uh, a few years ago. It's a great location for it's, a retreat, isn't it? It's unreal. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's one of my favorite kind of retreats for this size company because I think it gets you off the grid. The food quality is great. People are sharing cabins and walking around in shorts and t-shirts. They've got Wi-Fi access and you're close enough to Whistler if you want to spin up the highway to go get a great meal one of the nights. But 
I just think it's a really, I love getting off the grid to these kind of quieter locations versus a Vegas where there's so many distractions that you can't kind of stay in that zone. Oh yeah. Yeah. When we went to Vegas, we only had uh, 10 employees and we shared a massive house. So it was like a very different Vegas experience. (laughs) We did one one in Vegas one time where we shared the presidential suite at the Bellagio and we had about eight or 10 of us staring. No, it turned into just boys and girls behaving badly. It was just... Uh. Yeah, yeah it, everything stayed in Vegas. Well, it was like, yeah, I think I think if we were ever to roll that camera back again, we'd be like, yeah, no, bad career decision for everyone going. This we should not do this. Um, so right. thankfully, we all came out of it. Um, but yeah, it was crazy. Um, what changed now? With was is it Chris the CEO? Yes. What's changed with him not being able to do speaking? And I know it's only been a couple months not being able to do speaking, but the kind of trajectory is probably at least another four months to six months before the events are now being held again. How are you planning differently as a company? If that was where some of your leads were coming from, what are you changing? How are you pivoting there? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, part of, so I guess I should have probably alluded to this earlier on is, um, you know, part, part of our leads are coming through uh, definitely being on the conference circuit. The others are actually like um, the recommendations we receive from our current clients or our current clients actually move organizations and then Uh. know how much success we brought them. Um, We end up becoming sort of their partner for their lifetime. Right. Right. Like, and so it's really focusing on how we can leverage some of our champions. Uh, So that's sort of where his effort is, is being, you know, is, is, prioritized right now is thinking about, you know, how do we stay connected with these champions? What are some of the opportunities that we can be doing with them? So he's doing a lot of, um, you know, co-presenting on webinars, um, doing some workshops. Um, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just getting out there as well. You talked, you Mm -hmm. talked earlier about being kind of your curiosity being one of your strengths and being very systematic. Can you give us a, a, a kind of specific example of where that has helped, where your curiosity maybe uncovered something for you in the organization or? That's a really good question. I feel like that happens all the time. Well, yeah. And, and for someone, for when it's your unique ability, you often downplay it and think, well, that's no big deal, but for everybody else, it's probably huge. Yeah. I mean, oh, let's see. It's happened a few. I think that when I think about it from like, you know, there's a lot of minor, like little recoveries that lead to sort of like big discoveries. Um, but I think the thing that I, I'd say I, I'm most proud of um, would be like almost thinking intentionally about things before they happen. Mm. So like um, anticipating what um, challenges we might come across. So, you know, when we were at, you know, 18 people, like thinking about, you know, this is the right time to implement traction uh, so that, you know, when you get to 20 something, the people that are joining you aren't questioning while you're doing it. They just understand this is the way you operate. Mm, Um, Similar to that is like thinking about how you're actually structuring the organization. So I remember, you know, sitting down in Chris's office and thinking about like, let's forget the organization that we have right now. Let's pretend like we're building it from scratch. What are the functional areas that we need? Um, And what are all the seats? And then who are the people that we need in those seats? And like creating sort of like a vision board. Yep. Uh, So that was, you know, great exercise. Yeah. Yeah. We just had that exercise done um, two months ago at one of our COO Alliance events. We've got an organization that's exclusively for the second command. No entrepreneurs are allowed 
And uh, one of the one of the the breakouts that we did at the last event was just that we had everyone lean out and do their three year, two year, and one year org charts, and then present them to a small breakout group of other seconds and commands who challenged some of those assumptions and gave other ideas. And it was pretty interesting seeing the kind of what ifs, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then it was like, oh shit! If we, I know we're going to need that person in three years, what if we hired them now? Like, what could that do to the whole organization, right? Instead of hiring these two junior level people, what if I leaned out and hired that person and kind of what could that do to the company? It was pretty cool. Totally. Something that I just actually thought of that was kind of a cool experiment that, um, that we, we ran was um, after we had done sort of the key functional areas, we, made, we decided that, you know, for our service delivery, we were going to bring in or keep our teams together. We weren't going to separate them. So in order to deliver our services, we have, um, you know, account managers, strategists, um, and developers and designers. And so we were going to cohesively keep them under one umbrella because together they need to be really focused on delivering the best um, client value that we can. And that was one of those moments where we were already, like I was already anticipating, you know, there could be issues here because you might create subcultures and sort of like divisions. And so one year we did really well. So we decided to award the team somehow. So we're like, oh, what can we do? We can, you know, give everyone like four or 500 bucks. That gets tax deducted by quite a bit. They probably get 200 bucks at the end of the day. Why don't we do something cooler? So we gave them collectively $10,000 and said, do whatever you want. And it was the funniest experiment because now you have like 20 something people trying to decide how they're going to spend 10 grand, uh, 10 grand. And, it, and it, it took them an entire year to figure it out um, or to spend it actually. But they ended up doing all these like fun mini team events. Oh, cool. Which I think really brought them like to closer together and sort of reinstated the importance of having those three functions really work together. Yeah, it's funny. It's it's amazing when teams all of a sudden form when the leader doesn't see it coming. We put a bonus program in place years ago where uh, we had the top 20 media outlets that we wanted to get press coverage in. And for each one, there was a higher and higher and higher bonus because it would get harder and harder to get all 20 uh, within the 12-month period. So we said to the five people in PR, you know, depending on which one of you gets it, if you get the fourth one, then you're going to get 400 bucks. The fifth guy's going to get 500. The sixth one will get 600. And they'll get harder and harder, but you can all chase them down. The next day we sat down with the team and we said, so what's the plan? They said, well, we're grouping together and we're all sharing the bonuses. So we're dividing and conquering. The five of us are each going after four each. And we're like, shit, that's really <laughs> smart. And they landed 19 of the 20 programs. It was just like, wow, we, like, we never saw that coming at all. And they, they were just smarter than we were. It's kind of a, a good lesson, I think, for leaders too almost put the objective in front of the teams and let them figure out the how instead of us putting a plan in place. I mean, I think that's, um, to me that that is the definition of a great organization is, um, or, and specifically like a great team of leaders is the ability to, to succinctly communicate what the objective is. Um, and then let the, and then ensure that the team has the environment they need in order to go get it. To figure it out. Yeah. yeah. How, how have you grown as a leader? I mean, clearly just to come in as an admin and right out of university and now to be there as a second in command running the company as it's scaling, how have you had to grow? What, what have you worked on in terms of your skill development over the years? I mean, a lot. <laughs> That's a short answer. All of it. Um, yeah, pretty much. Uh, I think, I mean, if I was to, yeah, I'd really narrow it down to one thing that probably has held me back the most 
is uh, being aware of when I can no longer fix a problem. Mm. Uh, so becoming aware that, you know what, I've given it my best shot. I probably need to raise my hand now and bring in an expert to solve this. That's great. I remember that happening to me one day where I was, I was at a breaking point trying to figure something out and I just couldn't, it was either too many distractions or my skill set wasn't strong enough or something. And I pulled Brian, the CEO aside. And I'm like, can I grab you for a second brainstorm on something? And we sat down with a whiteboard and all of a sudden he was like, and I'm like, holy fuck. And he was like, you're smart enough to do this, but you just didn't see it. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's okay. And then I realized like the power of that to just yeah, not have to sit there and try to figure it out all the time. We're surrounded by really smart people. Sometimes it's getting them involved. Totally. Or like outsourcing your problems. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It needs I mean, to be solved, but not by us. Exactly. Um, I think that's like another uh, learning like that I've had is um, being able to create a network um, and connect with, with people who are sort of like, you know, it's like building out your antennas yeah. so that when you do have um, an issue or a challenge or an opportunity arise and, and you need, you know, a different perspective, you can tap into that. Yeah. It's a who problem, not a how problem. Exactly. So if you were to go back, this is your last question. If you were to go back to your younger self, you're graduating from university, you're getting ready to start in your career. What's kind of a word of business advice that you'd give yourself back then that, you know, now you know to be true, but you wish you'd known at a younger age. I wish I had done more, um, self-reflection on uh, what my greatest strengths are. I mean, Mm -hmm. I had a pretty good understanding, but, um, I had no idea I wanted to go down the operations path and, and, you know, it's probably fine because it does take some exploring, but I am curious what would have maybe changed had I known that, um, had I really thought about like, what are the things that really excite me? Where, you know, where do I attain flow? Where do I like, you know, what am I most drawn to? Like recently I was actually looking back at all the internships I did and I realized that at every single internship that I had and every job I've ever had, I created a manual. <laughs> and like if that doesn't say something i don't know what does right yeah we don't notice it in ourselves we're still so young and still thinking that we're screwing everything up that our um that's a great lesson victoria petru the vp of operations for wider funnel thank you so much for sharing with us on the second command podcast i really appreciate your time thanks so much have a good one it was awesome you've been listening to second in command brought to you by coo alliance founder cameron harold If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to us on Himalaya for access to our premium content. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.